I actually did, I guess, extensive research, if you will, on, on this topic about a year ago. And I actually just pull, pulled this quote up. And this was done as a, a study, and it was a few years ago, but it was on what we're talking about, the, the chemical effects. Here's a quote. Modern science allows us to understand that the underlying nature of an addiction to pornography is chemically nearly identical to a heroin addiction. So there are clear um, scientific evidences of this harm in the brain that it does, uh, that pornography has. Hi, this is Dr. Chuck Betters. I want to welcome you to Mark Inc. Ministries. We exist solely for the purpose of offering help and hope to hurting people. This particular resource is part of a series of interviews and stories from real people struggling with real issues, people who are helping those who are struggling with real issues. And this one in particular is on sexuality among teens, young adults. And we're hoping to be able to add this to a compilation of resources designed to target young people who are struggling with a variety of various issues. I want to thank you both for being part of this extremely important interview, this resource on dealing with the whole issue of pornography. Now, I remember as a kid growing up that those dirty magazines were nowhere to be found for a young child. You had to go to your grandfather's uh, house and find it under the bed somewhere. You'd find a Playboy magazine or something like that, and you, th you thought you died and went to heaven because you got to see this thing. And yet the images, even as a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever, I distinctly remember, and I can still bring up those photographs in my, in my brain because they made a lasting impression like the hot iron on the back of a shirt. It just doesn't go away. And so when we deal with the issue of pornography, what is one thing you want to say right off the bat to parents about this issue because in contrast to my growing up, your generation is just a couple buttons away. Just push a button here, push a button there. And what one thing do you want to say to parents to get our discussion going here? Your kids are going to struggle with pornography most likely. That's what I would say to parents. Uh, you, get the, you get the kid every once in a while who graduates high school and has never seen a naked picture of anyone else. But by and large, that's the exception and not the norm. It's not to freak parents out, but it is to say... This is a this is a this is an epidemic in our society, and we can't ignore it. So I guess that that's the first thing I would say to parents. Yeah, and one of the first things I would say to parents as well is completely to echo you. No matter how good you think that your child is, um, do not fall into the trap of thinking, "Oh, well, well, my son, my daughter would never do something like that." And, and what I just said kind of brings up something else that I would tell parents, especially of girls. Um, a lot of times when we talk about pornography, we are immediately, we, we just kind of eliminate girls, teen girls, young women, women. We eliminate them from the discussion and we tend to focus on this is a guy issue, but it is not. Um, you can look at statistics. It is a growing problem amongst women as well. So I guess as a, as a youth Minister, one of the things that I would ask you is, what do you think are the best ways that we can communicate to teens, to students, to our children about 
the harms of, of pornography. Let me plug a resource first, just for parents, youth ministers out there. Barna just released, uh, released a new study called The Porn Phenomenon, which is a really good kind of primer into how ubiquitous pornography is today, even amongst Christians. So as you, as you listen to this, get a hold of this study and, uh, and digest it, because it's going to help a lot, I think, in the discussion. As far as about the dangers of pornography, I would, I would start off by communicating what our lives are meant to be now that Christ has come for us. Our lives are meant to be lived in, in, in kind of what we call the triad, faith, repentance, and love. Daily, we're to put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, that He is sufficient for us. We're daily to repent from whatever sin we're engaging in and turn to him. And we're daily to engage others in practical love and service. Pornography destroys all of that. Pornography promises itself as a savior to you, regardless of what you're feeling, whether it's a refuge or it's coveting that you're after, coveting body images, or if it's just sexual and lust and nature. The issue is pornography says, God isn't God, I am. So it begs you to put your trust in it. It destroys faith. It also destroys your repentance because in the, in the porn worldview, you don't need to turn away from pornography. Right? It's not harmful to you. It's just what everyone else does. It's absolutely normal. And so porn destroys faith. It destroys repentance. And of course, and this is something that Christians have done a good job on picking. We've, we've done a good job on picking this up. It destroys love. It turns people into objects to be used instead of people to be known and loved in Christ. And so I, w- I would start with communicating what our life is positively to be in the Christian life. What's the Christian journey supposed to be about? And then how does porn distort and destroy that? Ultimately, it takes your eyes off, off of our Savior and puts them on an object that, that acts like salt water in the sense of like, you know, salt water looks thirst looks uh looks good to a thirsty man. But if this thirsty man starts to drink salt water, he's going to dry himself up from the inside out. That's that's what porn does at the end of the day. One of the things that in my research I have uncovered is that porn, like alcoholism or drug addiction, is an addiction. Lust, like hell, is never satisfied. And so the more porn you watch, the greater degree of depravity of porn you want to watch. It gets worse and worse and worse because lust is never satisfied. There is apparently, and and I may be wrong on this, but maybe you, you two have some expertise here that I don't. Apparently, there are chemical and biological and physiological changes that take place in a human brain as the result of absorbing pornography so that one day you get to the point, as you said earlier, where you view women as sexual objects rather than as, as persons. Do you know anything about that kind of, uh, that kind of science? I mean, the science has been out, at least the studies have been, have been being performed for years now. I think one thing, Christians can co-opt the science, okay? So yes, I would say that there does appear to be things happening in the brain chemically to feed into kind of an addictive mindset when it comes to pornography. The mistake for Christians would be to treat, and quote, someone who struggles with pornography, to treat them like a medical subject so that you ship someone off to a, to a doctor, you ship someone off to a clinic and, and fail to realize that ultimately, while it might, it might be helpful to see 
if in the more extreme cases, groups and stuff like that, that, that these people need community. These people need human beings to walk alongside of them, to show them the love and mercy of Christ, and to help them practically turn from their sin. And that Christ is able to do mighty works within that. So I would, I would want to co-opt the science, but I'll, I would also want to filter the science through a Christian worldview and say it isn't enough to view someone as an addict. It kind of reduces them to the, to the, to the status of addict. And I would say that across the board for, for any person that's addicted to any kind of substance. I actually did, I guess, extensive research, if you will, on, on this topic about a year ago. And I actually just pull, pulled this quote up. And this was done as a, a study, and it was a few years ago, but it was on what we're talking about, the, the chemical effects. Here's a quote, modern science allows us to understand that the underlying nature of an addiction to pornography is chemically nearly identical to a heroin addiction. So there are clear um, scientific evidences of this harm in the brain that it does, uh, that pornography has. But I love what you just said, because um, I think it's easy to, f- to just focus on that. And, and a lot of times, like, especially for ministering to, to teens, that's just like, okay, whatever. I mean, they, they just that's so out of the realm of what they're thinking about that it doesn't even, even really get. And we're just kind of getting to the issue here instead of the, the real root issues. One of the things that that I would also say is that, especially with teens, it seems that as youth ministers, sometimes it just feels like you're saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And I want to encourage both parents and youth ministers out there to kind of always couple that because you don't want to just come across as this guy shaking his finger and saying, don't do this, don't do this. Because in my experience, a lot of times that just increases the odds that they will do it. <laughs> so um, always couple it with with this. This has brought me great, um, uh, something that I go to often is that God gives us commands not to just, not to restrict us, but to, to give us joy. His commands for us lead to our joy. So I would always couple it with that, that even though we're kind of talking about the harmful effects and those are great, God gives us these commands and parameters to bring us even greater joy in our families and our relationships. I think the stereo this like the stereotypical like analogy of that is a fish isn't free if he's out of water. You right, know what I'm saying? Right, like he right. needs the restriction of a watery realm to be free, to be thriving and living. I think in the same way, like even when you look at the Ten Commandments given at Sinai, uh, the Lord starts off with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So in that sense, he's given them a realm of freedom in his redemption and love and mercy, and gives his people these commands to live by because they are free. And that actually fences them in from destruction and slavery. I think it's an assumption of all of us sitting around the table here, and probably those who are listening, that more than likely your child has already experimented with pornography. Tyler, you minister to 100 plus kids every week, and more than likely, as you're ministering to them, telling them, don't do this and don't do that, you're also telling them to do this and do that. So the put off and the put on that Paul mentions in Colossians chapter 3, for example, that true biblical change takes place not just when you put off the sin, but when you put on its opposite characteristic. So assuming that our children are already watching or have been exposed to pornography more so than in my generation ever was, I see now that it's making a, a progression 
from simply looking at a dirty picture to clicking a few buttons to watching explicit sexual acts to now sexting and girls and boys taking off their clothes and sending their pictures, their naked pictures to their friends, which, by the way, is there forever. It'll never go away. It's always going to be there. What's next? Where is this going? What, what can we expect that our kids who are in this extremely sexual generation, what can we expect as parents, as teachers, as, as church leaders, what can we expect that our kids are doing that maybe we haven't even thought about yet? I graduated high school roughly you know, less than 10 years ago, about eight, nine years ago. And the issue you just brought up, sexting, that was not even on the table. That was just even for me in high school and even college, that was unheard of. And so that was such a short time ago. And now it's, in a sense, tragically the norm. I mean, there are so many kids doing this. So to answer your question, I have, I have no idea. I would have never expected just a short eight years ago, this rampant issue of sexting would have never, would have never thought it would occur. So it's, it's a hard question to answer. Am I being naive in saying, for example, that a young girl who observes that a boy is so turned on by pornography is herself going to become pornographic? Is it unreasonable to suspect that a girl who sees what her body image does to a boy is going to take the next step and actually become involved herself in producing porn? Oh, well, the mistake is to think that this is all about sex. That's the mistake. There's a whole host of reasons why anyone would send a sext or anyone or why anyone would engage in pornographic acts. I mean, it could be that this girl sees the, the what, what images do to another, another guy. She desperately wants his approval. She desperately wants to belong, to feel a part of his world. That's one aspect. It doesn't... But then here's... I, I think in this Barna study, these guys come away saying, why sexting is on the rise is not necessarily because people want to belong, but it's because it's normal. They're not using whatever brain they have to think about. And it really does point to the effects of the fall on us as humans. Like our reason, our moral compass is shattered. And kids will engage in this just because just because everyone else is doing it. It's, it's such a normal part of, of their lives. It's in their vernacular. It's, their, it's what they speak. So as far as like where it goes next, I think we've answered it. And that is... It's going to go places that we haven't even dreamed, and we shouldn't be shocked about it in one way. Christians should prepare themselves for the worst. In the past 10 years or so, the technological revolution has been absolutely incredible when you think about it. We're, I'm sitting here now on, at this table. I have a smartphone in front of me. I have an iPad in front of me. Tyler has his computer, and we can click a few buttons right now. And we can bring up just about any perversion you want to think of. And nobody would ever know or care. And, and I'm thinking, I remember when this whole idea of Facebook came up. When it was just starting, I was in a restaurant with a couple of my elders in the church. And we were talking about the role technology is going to play in the development of our worship styles and our structures, our worship services, et cetera, we were just about to enter that technological revolution. And you look around this studio now and outside there, and you, you see exactly what we've done with it. Marking ministries exist on a technological fulcrum, so to speak. And we were at a restaurant, and this uh, young girl, probably in her 20s, was our waitress. 
And she came up to the table, and my men were resisting. They, they didn't want to hear about the fact that we have to join the technological revolution. And I said, I said, watch this. And she came up to the table, and I said to her, do you attend church anywhere? She said, no, I, I don't go to church. I said, do you have friends? She said, oh, yeah, I have friends. I said, how do you communicate with your friends? And I wanted to show the men sitting at the table there that it is not face-to-face. -face. They, they don't look eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball and face-to-face. -face. And she immediately said, texting. And I said, so you don't have any of this. And I pointed my nose to her nose. Yeah, I said, my eyes to your eyes. I said, you don't have any of this, do you? She says, oh, no. And I said, so everything is done anonymously. It's done by way of your, of your phone. She said, yes. I said, well, let me ask you another question. If you were to attend the church, what kind of church would you want to attend? And she immediately brought up two things. She said, I want to go to a church where I have relationships, where I have face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, nose-to-nose. And I said, well, what kind of preaching would you want to hear? She said, I would want somebody to tell me the truth and not to try to get down, quote, unquote, on my level. I want to know what the truth is. This comes from a 22-year-old. And I looked at my man. I said, case closed. You need to understand the role that technology plays in all of this. When I look around at a youth group or a church service or whatever, everybody's on their smartphones. Their parents gave them these smartphones. When they're in school, they're on their smartphones. Even though the, the rules of the school don't permit it, they're there. They're texting. They're going back and forth. They're sending naked pictures of each other back and forth. Are we fighting a losing battle with technology? I mean, when, we, when it comes right down to it, uh, you and I are, we're battling this, this phone. Yep. We're battling this, this, the images I can bring up on this phone. How pervasive is technology in the struggle that the church is having and that our kids are having with pornography? What happened with smartphones and even smart technology, we did not vet the technology beforehand. That's part of our nature. We consume novelty without thinking about it without bringing it before the feet of the Lord and asking, is this something that's going to be good for my family? Is this going to be good, something that's good for my ministry, my relationships? So we're reaping the benefits of that now. You're talking to someone who doesn't have a smartphone, though, for these very reasons, uh, and who's kind of pessimistic on this. I think Christians are going to have to make hard decisions about the types of technology that they will allow into their homes because of the ubiquitous nature of pornography out there. Kids cannot surf the internet without being attacked by this. Just because just because your kid has a texting app doesn't mean that they're going to that someone else isn't going to send them a picture. If they have a Facebook account, it doesn't mean that someone's not going to assault them on Facebook. That's not to say that we need to seclude ourselves in kind of this uh, utopian society. That's not going to happen. But it does mean we're going to have to make tough decisions about these sorts of things. And I think one of those tough decisions, I, I don't see a reason why parents should give their children smartphones before high school. I don't see a reason why that needs to happen. Personal computers in rooms. Parents have to wisen up to the realities of the world in which we live in. Like, pornography is everywhere. So there's that, there's that aspect. And then there's the aspect of we need to teach our children how to use technology wisely. And that's a whole other that's Well, a whole technology, I mean, we're using technology right now. So this resource is going to be produced. It's going to be downloaded. It's going to become podcasts for some people. It's going to become parts of blogs for other people. And this is going to go all over the place. So there's a good use for technology. But Tyler, let me ask you a question here. When a, when a person is addicted to pornography, where they're, they're watching it every day, 
sometimes three, four, or five times a day. And they come to you, and they, they slip you that letter that we heard earlier about the young man who came to you struggling with same-sex attraction. And um, they're asking you for help. They slip you the letter, Tyler. They say, I am really struggling with this. What do I do? What do you tell them? First off, when I was in college, I was an upperclassman RA2 freshman coming in, and it was unbelievable the amount of college boy freshman who would come up to me and say what you're what you're just saying. I mean, it was almost like in a span of two, three months, it was like one guy after another guy after another guy coming up with this issue. So this all circles back to this is an unprecedented, unbelievable issue. And my advice was always this. The initial reaction is, okay, man, well, we're going to get these filters on your computers and you're going to sign me up to be your accountability buddy. And, you know, every time you look at something wrong, it's going to send me an email and I'm going to come after you. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to fight this together. Like we're going we're gonna to conquer this. I think that's the wrong approach. I like to use the analogy of you have a cup full of like rocks and sand. And so the, the easiest way to fight those rocks or sand we think sometimes is, well, let me just get in there and pick them out. You know, let me let me try to figure out a way to get those that stuff out of the out of the cup. The easiest way to get it out of the cup is to put it under a hose and blast the hose in the cup and everything runs out. So that is always my first initial step with with these with people, with guys who come up and they're asking for help. It's let me introduce you even more to this the source of this hose and that's that's Jesus. To try to fight temptation, me on my own power, the person I'm helping in their own power, it always falls short. There's only one who can fight for us, and that's Jesus. You know, it's interesting at the production of this particular resource, there's a new tool that's available to parents that's being advertised all over television, and that's a tool called HUM. I don't know if you guys have seen this or not. It's a little module that you plug into the into your car. The new cars have this place where you can plug into directly into the computers in the car. And it's designed to help parents know where your child is, how fast he or she is going, who they're with. In other words, it's putting boundaries around your child. Uh, now, I know kids are going to figure out a way to beat hum, just like they figure out a way to beat everything else. But it indicates to me a problem that all of us, even non-Christians, are admitting that we don't know what our kids are doing. We don't know where they are. We don't know what they're watching. And we think that just because we put clean web or something else on the, on the computer that they're not watching pornography anymore. They can go to their friend's house. They can go to school and, and it'll show up there because it's so prevalent. In fact, I have, I have been doing some studies and have learned how prevalent pornography is among church leaders. Pastors. Uh, we've had pastors in our own denomination who have had to step down because of addictions to porn that have gone even further and have led to affairs and what have you, because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's contagious. So what hope do we have? I mean, what, what hope do we have if it's so prevalent, if there's so much addiction, if there's no way for us to really insulate our kids from seeing it? Where, where are we going with this? Where, where's Harvest Ministries want to go with this? Where do you personally want to go with this? I want to affirm a couple of things. Filters, accountability, software, the like, are necessary tools to fight pornography. They are. We like to use the analogy of offensive linemen in, in football, right? The offensive linemen give the quarterback time to execute the play. 
They don't execute the play for the quarterback. They give the quarterback time to execute the play. In the same way, filters, accountability software, blockers, uh, things that attach to your router. I like to give some of these practical things later, but um, those give students time. They block the stuff to give students time to execute the hard work that's needed to follow Christ. That's necessary. But I also want to. I also want to say this. Where we go, where does Harvest, where does the student outreach, where does Harvest, Harvest USA want to go? We want to realize that the problem is not in pornography, okay? It's not in what your kids, ultimately, it's not in what your kids are seeing. It's in who your kids are without Jesus. This is not so much about insulation as it is about engaging our children and helping them to come to Christ by faith. Now, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Let me challenge that just for a moment. Christians who know Christ, people who know Christ, are struggling as well. So the simple answer of, well, we need to introduce them to Jesus, maybe they already know Jesus. That's not, yeah, that's not exactly what I mean. What I mean is, even though they know Jesus, they forsake him day after day. And I'm not saying that we give them some sort of theological five steps. What I am saying is they need to come to him daily. And that means in community It means using accountability software like Covenant Eyes. It means we're praying with them. It means that we are engaging them with in their lives. So I would say it's it's not enough to to freak out and and simply lock everything down with with uh, with internet blockers, accountability software filters, whatever. Um, But it's also not enough to miss the fact that their flesh is still within them that it is warring, and that this battle goes much deeper than pornography. It goes to the very core of who they are. Even as Christians, while their hearts are changed, while their identity is fundamentally in Christ, they have the, the, the principle of the flesh warring against them. And the, the mistake would be to miss that with our children, to think that I need to simply get rid of phones or, or whatever, all those, all of those things are necessary. What is needed is a relationship with our children and with our students that allows them to bump up against the truths of Jesus day in and day out, who he's made us to be, who he's calling us to be, the kind of demands that he makes on our lives and the kind of rich life he provides in return. Well, I, I think it's important for us to put those roadblocks up, those that, that offensive line. I, that goes without saying, and, and we can provide our listeners with all of the resources that you have where they can get that offensive line protection. I think the struggle is going to get worse. I think the technology is going to get worse. But I, I think that our culture is eventually going to embrace pornography as normal and right. I think it already has. Well, I think it's going to get even worse. (laughs) I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is is I think the culture right now, we're still hiding it. It's still, you know, something that's done behind uh, some closed doors down in Hollywood somewhere. I know of kids who have left their homes because they've been so rebellious. uh, They're on porn now. I mean, they're actually porn stars. And uh, it's going to become more and more acceptable. And I think that it's becoming more acceptable in the church. And that bothers me. That concerns me. Whenever I bring it up to men in men's ministry, you can hear a pin drop. Of course you can. <laughs> you can hear a pin drop. And I don't think it's just men anymore. I think women are, are, are becoming more and more aggressive in all of this. And so I come back to the very same thing that this resource is designed to offer you help and hope. Tyler, what hope are you giving people right now? What hope is there? Given the extent of this problem, what hope are you giving them? 
Well, I'll just say that um, what some of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel I've ever seen lived out in real life come from after a struggle with pornography um, is admitted and is put out there. Because then you offer the only hope that you can offer, and, and that's, that's Jesus. All right, let me ask you both this question. What can we as parents or as church leaders, youth leaders, whatever, teachers, what can we do when a child looks at porn, we discover that our child is looking at porn, what do we do? Well, I think the first thing is that as an initial reaction, you just, why would you do that? That's disgusting. You need to stop. Well, I don't think that's the initial good reaction to have. Don't freak out. Again, this is kind of unfortunately now an issue that is very rampant. So one of the things we can approach them with is simply the gospel is with grace. They're probably already broken up about it. They might even be relieved that you're actually talking to them about it a lot of times because they feel trapped. They feel stuck in what they're doing. So really it's about an open conversation. It's about relationships. It's about keeping those relationships open. As a pastor now for nearly 50 years, I've gone into many people's homes at the point of crisis where all hell has broken loose in their home for whatever reason, death or suicide or whatever. And I have learned over the years that the first words out of my mouth are extremely critical to whether or not I am helping them or hurting them. So you've discovered, Tyler, that your child has looked at porn. You read their history or whatever, and you found out your child has listened to porn. Those first words are very, very important. What will those first words be out of your lips? I think the first words that will come out of my mouth would hopefully be simply that I love you. And, and what you've done does not change that or ever will change that. Um, I think opening with just that simple statement of, I love you, no matter what, I'm your parent, no matter what, I'm your youth pastor, no matter what, this does not decrease my thinking of you, this does not decrease my love for you, this does not change how I think of you, I'm here for you. And then what? Look, I think you've got, you've got to apply, as a parent, you've You've got to utilize the tools that are out there for you. Not being naive, like I said earlier, to think that using filters and accountability software is going to solve the problem, but you cannot neglect that aspect. Covenant Eyes, Safe Eyes, Open DNS, Circle with Disney. There are so many resources out there. You need to implement them in your family. You can't turn a blind eye to this. But I also think that you need to realize that the issue with pornography could be a lifelong issue for this child. So it's not about getting in there and trying to, like we said in the Same Sex Attraction podcast, just trying to fix the problem. You need to be willing and able to walk with this child on an ongoing basis to not think that, oh, you've had one conversation. Let's say I'm having a parent. I say, I love you. Now we're gonna, now we're gonna apply appropriate consequences. That might mean taking phones away. It might mean locking down computer time. It's definitely gonna mean, you know, this isn't a consequence. Every parent that's listening should be utilizing accountability and filtering software on their computers. I think between your answer and Tyler's answer, Tyler says, my first response is going to be, I love you. You then added to that, well, now we have to look at how we can develop the offensive line. I think there's a step missing in between those two. And that is looking your child in the eyes and saying, I struggle with the same temptations that you do. 
I have sexual temptations the same way you do. I have, I, and maybe even confessing those to your child, depending on the age of that child, whether or not they're old enough to handle that sort of thing. But I think that you bring them into the context of your own struggle, and that becomes a safe place. It breaks down shame and isolation, levels the playing field. Absolutely, yeah. And it helps them to know that we are on the same journey, that even as parents, that, that we're all awaiting Christ. We're all awaiting not only to see him face to face and to be rid of these issues, but we're awaiting him to come back and make all things new. I think you, as you listen to this resource, you can hear in our own struggles the fact that this is a an issue that is is not settled yet. It's an issue that is going to get progressively worse and worse and worse as the technology continues to develop because the human heart is depraved, desperately wicked, and we will find new and newer ways to act out our depravity. And so this is going to be an ongoing struggle for all of us, for all of you who are listening. The key here, I hope you've picked this up, the key here is to A, understand that this is a problem. Don't hide your head in the sand. Your child is going to experience, if not already experiencing, a struggle with pornography. We do need to have certain forms of accountability in place to, as was said earlier by Cooper, to develop the offensive line to put those roadblocks up to help that child. But I also think admitting your own struggles and getting engaged in a conversation with your children that is frank and honest and coming down off of our parental pedestal, so to speak, and getting face to face, eyeball to eyeball, I mean, kneeling down and looking them square in the eye and telling them, as Tyler said, how much you love them and how nothing they ever do is going to cause you to not love them anymore. And because they're your child and you embrace them even in their sinfulness. Uh, but then to also help them understand what identity in Christ really looks like. To understand that our struggles against sin take on many different forms. Not just sexual forms, but many different forms. We struggle with what we look at, what we hear, what we say. Uh, we struggle with thought life, and we struggle with gossip and overeating and all the forms of addiction that we have, that those are all part of the human struggle. To enter into your child's struggle by admitting your own struggle. And, and I think that is the best way, and I, I hope you've picked this up, I think that is the best way to begin this dialogue because it's going to be ongoing. Sexting is prevalent now, but something else will be prevalent tomorrow, and it will get worse and worse and worse. And as parents, you need to coach your children. Uh, a man must manage his own household well if he wants to be a spiritual leader. Managers know how to take the talents of their team and put those talents to work in such a way that the team performs best. And you must acknowledge your role as a father, your role as a mother, to manage your household well, to take the gift mix of your children and capitalize on those gifts so that that's, that child's self-worth becomes evident not only to him, but to all those around him. So stay in touch with us here at Mark Inc. Ministries. I am sure that we will continue to develop other resources as other sorts of problems begin to emerge. We'll try to be proactive rather than reactive. And I hope that Mark Inc. Ministries can be a blessing to you. Once again, we are Mark Inc. Ministries. You can visit us on the web at markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C. Org, and that is an acronym for Making Abundant Riches Known in the Name of Christ. God bless, and I hope this resource has been a blessing to you.